Accelerating your fandom, this is Flash TV Talk. Welcome to Flash TV Talk. I'm Bo. And I'm Bell. Bell, man, how you doing tonight? Dude, I am super excited about our guest for this evening. Yeah, man. We have got joining us in just a moment here. He is a legend of the small screen. He's been on such series as Dawson's Creek, the original Flash. And of course, he portrays Henry Allen on the CW's Flash. I'm talking about Mr. John Wesley Shipp. And he's a two-time Emmy Award winner. Yeah, man. I mean, look, this is really, really great. We cannot be more ecstatic about this going into this interview. And man, I, I say, let's just go ahead and jump into it. Let's do it. John, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Awesome. Yeah, so let's go ahead and just jump into some questions here. Uh, So you're an award-winning actor. You've performed many, many roles over your career. Uh, So in your opinion, has the quality of television programming changed over the years? Uh, And what factors do you think uh, make up quality TV programming? Well, um, I think uh, that that, that's a huge topic right there. I'm going (laughs) to... I'm going to narrow that down a little bit. I think uh, what makes good programming for the show that I'm doing right now is that they're being very successful at combining a couple of different elements, and one is humor, and one is uh, Andrew Kreisberg has three names, and they have them up on the boards, three words up on the board in the writer's room, and I can't remember what those three words are, but essentially it's, it's the action-adventure element, it's the humor element, it's the heart mm. element. And I think that's what's caused uh, this incarnation of The Flash to be so successful, because it's not just an hour movie a week with some great special effects and some cool action adventure. They always manage to keep track of the relationships, and there usually, almost always, comes a point in the episode where Everything stops, everyone has a chance to breathe, and we get inside the minds and the hearts of these characters. And I think that's very important, a very difficult thing to manage, and they're managing it brilliantly. Absolutely. Um, now, of course, you know, you've actually, I mean, you're, you're a television legend. You've held several different roles over the last several years. Uh, what would you say has been your favorite role or character that you've played? First of all, thank you for that compliment. That's high praise. Absolutely. Um, I uh, have. I was talking to a friend the other day and saying, you know, I happen to have popped up at sort of seminal moments in different mediums. It's like if you were going to do daytime TV, the early 80s was the time. We were mm-hmm. getting primetime numbers. It was the youth explosion. I was almost had storylines with Kevin Bacon and Julianne Moore and, and uh, uh, so, some really, really, really great actors. They were going on location. The budgets exploded. And then, uh, you know, I got to be a part of uh, what I think probably is one of the first, certainly if not the first, comic book superhero for television where we were not, we were actually taking the character seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then went from that to Dawson's Creek, which sort of redefined uh, the way uh, uh, our dramas for young people are written, not writing down to a young audience. So. I've I've been lucky uh, in that respect. Also, early in my career, first thing I did, which allowed me to stop waiting tables after I did a movie for Showtime. <laughs> I'm a relic. I did Showtime's first movie for television. Oh, but wow. anyway, Excellent. all right. After that, I went on Guiding Light and played a squeaky clean good guy for uh, <laughs> I think three years. And then right after that, a writer who knew that I had a lot more depth wrote 
a role that started as sort of uh, this uh, uh, savior and answer to the Julianne Moore's dreams and Prince Charming-esque type of character and went all the way out to crazy. So I got to break type right away. And nice. since then, it's been going back and forth between superheroes and psychopaths. I can't <laughs> think of two more diverse dads than Henry Allen um and Mr. Leahy on Teen Wolf. I mean, that's so <laughs> sick. I can hardly watch it, you know, um, yeah. so abusive to Daniel Sharman. And, uh, of course, there's a, there's a difference. One thing I did not want to do was do Mitch Leary 10 years later coming to Flash um, mm. as the next really high-profile series I was attached to. And, uh, and the given circumstances took care of that. There was a, a darkness and a gravitas, of course, being in prison, going through everything that Henry's gone through, yeah. and dealing with the fact that you, in the process, process of discovering that you have a superhero for a son, <laughs> so that's, uh, that, <laughs> that's pretty mind-blowing. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, that, I would say, being able to move back and forth you know, I, I got some stuff from The Closer, from Teen Wolf, from the current version of The Flash. Uh, I, I did an independent film where I play the President of the United States. Um, you know, uh, I had just done four months when I came back to daytime after an absence of 18 years to play this completely over-the-top, psychotic, uh, uh, child-abusive uh, parent. So the fact that I get to go back and forth between these worlds and I'm not constrained by being typed in any one direction. It can get confusing sometimes, I think, for casting <laughs> sure. people, but it's a lot of fun for me. Cool, cool. So how would how would you uh how would you describe your dream project? Like what 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 would be the one thing that you would just just love to just do? Like you know, writing project, directing project, uh acting, uh just just anything. What would be your dream project? God, that's so hard to say because you know I think that actors can very easily set themselves up for disappointments if you define what is success is going to look like, and anything short of that is going to, by definition, be failure. What I have tried to do, whether it was the Tony Award-winning play on Broadway, Dancing at Lunasa, or whether it was daytime TV right before a couple shows crashed and burned, uh, whatever it's been, prime time. Uh, is to try to treat all the material that I get with equal respect and try to find the heart in, and the connections with the other characters in the material. And I have to tell you, I, maybe this speaks to my limitation, but I get as big a charge, you know, having done the moments that really worked uh, recently in 2012 with David Gregory on, on One Life to Live, you know, he, of course, has gone on. He's done a lot of theater. He's, he's written and is directing a radio drama that he and I are, are, are performing in uh, right now. That's awesome. Um, oh, cool. In which I play a blind sheriff. It's, it's Powder Burns where justice is blind. But anyway, that's another story. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so, I, you know, I just want to play interesting characters, and I don't care if it's with a really good friend of mine who has a theater in Texas or if it happens to be a really important movie, or if it's a contract part on a primetime series, or exactly what I'm doing, which mm -hmm. is a re recurring guest star, where I get to come in. You know, I feel guilty in some ways, because, you know, everybody's working their asses off 
you know, mm-hmm. day in and day out. And I get to come in the episodes that I'm in at sort of the pinnacle of the episode, and I feel like I, I get to skim <laughs> the cream off the top. As a result, people have, people have been very complimentary about what I've done, and I, I accept that, and I'm grateful for all that praise. But I look at the way the episodes are structured, and Henry gets to come in right when it's time to uh, pull on the heartstrings. So mm-hmm. I've, I, I've just been thrilled with the material that I've been given to do. Uh, on this show. I can't imagine revisiting a project 24 years later and having it be not just a cameo, having it be not overused, because quite frankly, I wouldn't want to be there every Mm. week. I think it would be uh, the law of diminishing returns. The fact that they bring me in at pinnacle moments and sort of use me almost... (laughs) I feel like a visiting elder statesman. You know what I mean? But I come in. <laughs> I come in and I, I have these heart-rending moments with my son, and then I get to leave, and they go on about the business of continuing to uh, explore and create the new Flash, you know, which is as it should be, and, and doing it brilliantly, I might add. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love how you mentioned before about how you portray these heroes and psychopaths. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of us, we come to, you know, this this series because we're fans of the comic books and kind of the lore and, you know, the heroes and villains going head to head. So were you a fan of comic books growing up or, or when did you kind of get into this world? I was not. I, I when they said The Flash, I said, you mean Flash Gordon, you know? <laughs> and I, as I tell people now, I, I take great umbrage when someone says that to me. You know, I, go, <laughs> I go like, no, you know, the Flash. How dare you? <laughs> and, uh, but no, I didn't really know uh, anything about comic books. You know, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo's uh, pilot script was so rich and was so uh, dimensional in terms of okay, who is this guy, the unblessed son of a cop family who is really close with his brother, but his brother is the blessed son, and he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that's been protected, kept out of harm's way, and as a result doesn't really have his father's full respect. And then he gets these kick-ass powers, and he can't even tell his dad about it. Mm-hmm. The death of the brother, all of that stuff I could relate to, independent of the source material. So, and that's in fact what they told me why they were coming to me, because they wanted someone to come into play within the given circumstances, which are heightened. So the reality is going to be heightened. But to try to get to the truth of the moment uh, as the best uh, that I could, you know, at that time, you know, hopefully I've continued to grow uh, as an actor. Uh, but, uh, you know, doing to the best of my ability to play those moments as truthfully and as honestly as I could. And the comic book element sort of took care of itself. You know, Danny and Paul, in much the same way, Andrew, Greg, David, and uh, and Jeff, you know, who are just love the Flash. I mean, they all know this character inside and out. Mm-hmm. So they're the ones that, uh, you know, are the keepers of the flame, the comic book flame, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, I think sometimes you're unencumbered when you come whether it's Shakespeare, who you're playing a historical character, which is deviates significantly from history. If you're not too trapped in the historical context, you can play what's on the page, you know. 
So uh, I, I kind of talked around your question, but the, <laughs> those are the electrons that exploded in my brain as a result of what you said. <laughs> oh, that's good. No, that's great. Well, tell us a little bit about landing the role of Barry Allen back for the 1990s series. Well, I had just, uh, uh, as I, I had been in New York in the 80s, I had done a play on Broadway, a couple off-Broadway. I had won two Emmys for daytime, back-to-back, one for uh, uh, As the World Turns, and then the following year, one for Santa Barbara. And I came to, uh, to NeverEnding Story 2, uh, which took me to Munich and Vancouver, which is where we shot NeverEnding Story 2. And then the casting director of that movie became my manager and said, well, you have to move to L.A. And so I came to L.A. looking to book some kind of realistic drama, something I could really sink my teeth into. And uh, I was approached about reading the script for The Flash, and I had reservations because what I had seen up until this point was uh, it was... uh, it was a kind of humor and a kind of presentation that I didn't think I would be very good at. And wasn't, that's not where my aspirations lay at the time. You know, I, uh, I had pretensions of being a serious actor, perhaps quite delusionally, but mm. that's what was <laughs> in my head. So I, I talked to April Webster, multiple Emmy award-winning casting director of since then, she's gone on to win Emmys for Lost and all this. She was the casting director, and I knew April. And I said, well, April, I just, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I don't want to come out and have uh, the first thing I do or the second thing I do out here be very broad, broad humor. And she said, John, if this project were the things you're describing, do you think I'd be attached? Mm. She said, just read it. That's all I ask. <laughs> and I... And I read the hour-and-a-half script, and I was like, wow, okay, I can wrap my actor's heart. A revenge motivation? Okay, you mean he's not being Hugh Hollywood hero? Great. He finally decides to accept the powers to avenge the death of his brother? I can get behind that. Yeah. You know, and so uh, the invitation was to audition. And I, from what I understand, was the first of 60 guys that they saw and then they took two of us to the network, and uh, after some dickering back and forth, and they wanted to see more tape and this and that, and it was a week-and-a-half-long process that I'm sure shortened my life by 10 years, because <laughs> by that point I was heavily invested in getting it. Um, uh, they, uh, they offered me the part. Excellent. Somebody said that. One of the exec- I hope it's not true. One of the executives at CBS said, that guy's head would look good on a lunchbox. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I got the role. I oh, that's hope brilliant. that's not true. <laughs> well, I, I have a question about the suit. You know, speaking of you know heads on lunchboxes and whatnot. Uh, so I had heard in, in Tim Burton's Batman, the the nineteen eighty nine Batman, uh, Michael Keaton mentioned that it was difficult to turn his head due to the thick material and like Batman's uh, cow, like what it was made out of. So like when he'd look at something, he'd turn his whole body. And so uh, some people even say that that kind of defined his portrayal of Batman in that film. And I was curious because the, the suit in the nineties series, uh, it, it looks like it's kind of a thicker material. And I was wondering if you had any similar issues, uh, with the Flash's suit. Well, they knew right away. One of the instructions, uh, of course it was Bob short productions, a hundred thousand dollars in 1990 to build four suits. Um, 
And one of the instructions was, okay, it, it, you know, the guy's thing is speed. It can't, he can't be immobile. Mm-hmm. It's got to move. It's got to breathe. And, uh, or at least appear to be breathing. And, uh, and so they, they made them out of, uh, all the muscle pieces were individually sculpted out of foam latex and glued over a spandex suit and flocked with a red material and then sprayed with a sealant because I was sweating through about two or three inches of sculpted foam latex. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. The, the problems that I had were related to heat. It okay. would be, we were shooting our pilot in May and June in Los Angeles uh, at Warner Brothers and in various locations, usually in the valley. So it was hot. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, would, I would be in it, and it would turn into this giant sponge. Another problem they had was they couldn't clean them. They, would just, oh. they had two for me and two for the stuntmen. And they would hang them in my trailer, mine, and they'd still be wet at 5 a.m. the next morning when I had to put it back. They'd spray it with Lysol, if you can imagine, so it was now wet and sticky. So those were, you know, those were my horror stories, that, and they had to glue the cowl down to my face, and they had wow. to keep putting the glue on, taking the glue off, putting the glue on, you know, and so uh, I got pretty raw. They've found a way now with the new suit, which has its own set of challenges. I don't mean to imply that Grant has it easy. <laughs> I, I was saying there's, there's this, I call it ferority, because it's a sorority and a fraternity of people who have done costume characters, mm. and everybody has a horror story, and I don't mean to imply that Grant has easy going, but one thing they have managed to do is not glue it to his face. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so that they, so that he can, in between takes, he can put the cow back or take it off, and that's an enormous relief, because you lose 40% of your body heat through your head, mm. you know. But I'd say that was it. The gluing, the fact that they couldn't clean it, the fact that because I was sweating so much, it was crumbling from about the third episode. You'll see the seams in certain unfortunate shots. <laughs> you know, by about, you know, they were constantly repairing it and, uh, and, and, and the glue and the heat. That was, that was the, the stuff that I had to contend with. Wow. Well, uh, speaking of kind of tips and tricks from, from the series, uh, you know, it, it appears that the super speed was kind of shot using slower frame rates so that when you actually watched it, it played at normal speed and everything, you know, appeared to be faster. Uh, do you recall, like, what kind of tricks were actually used on set to simulate that super speed? Well, I just know that I spent a lot of time doing repetitive action. Me and James Barnwell, my double. I, I, you know, I used the, the cleaning up the apartment scene. They oh, yeah. had me going sort of at a normal sort of, speed around one direction, picking up stuff. And then at a certain point, he comes in and starts going around the outside of the circle in the opposite direction. <laughs> oh, and, and while we did that, must have done that for seven, eight, nine, ten minutes. And uh, they were undercranking the camera. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they got the air cannons in. And, uh, and then so when they sped up the uh, 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 camera to normal speed, and they would add the blur effect whenever the flash would go by. They and they're doing this now. The air cannons are more subtle. I mean, they would hit us with. I mean, you really had to have something in your ear. You burst into the eardrum. <laughs> oh, wow. you know, every time, every time I flashed out, they go. Bush! You know, <laughs> they, they blow somebody over. <laughs> 
Well, I, I tell you what, I, I, I recently bought uh, the original Flash series on DVD and I've been watching through it and I, I really love the pilot and I've seen uh, the first uh, first three episodes and the Trickster episode because I was curious because it's coming on next week. But uh, I was wondering, what was your favorite episode to shoot uh, from the 1990 series? Well, certainly the pilot, because we did that like a movie. We had six weeks to shoot mm-hmm. that and it was like, I think, six and a half million dollars back in oh, 1990. Wow. So. We were shooting a feature, and that that was that was pretty awesome. And we have Rob Iskov, who was uh, a very uh, character and relationship oriented uh, director, working with us on on the emotion and the relationship, particularly the relationship with Jay. I mean, I hated it that he had to die because I just I, I loved the relationship between uh, Jay and Barry, particularly mm, given yeah. the dynamic within that family that they managed to remain as close as they were. But anyway, um, tell me, you got to tell me your question again. I've talked around <laughs> it. What was it? <laughs> so what, what was your favorite episode, uh, from the original series, uh, to shoot like the, when you like through the shooting right. process and all that kind of stuff, what was your favorite? You know, I, I just recently went back and, and with a friend of mine, I watched the first episode after the pilot and I was like, okay, we certainly <laughs> got better as we went along, didn't we? Um, <laughs> the, uh, by the time we hit about halfway through watching The Detectives, I felt something kick in. Mm. And then, you know, some episodes were better than others, but, you know, I, 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 you know, I enjoyed... Uh, 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 certainly, I had never worked with split screen before, and although I don't, I know it was not Danny Bilson's favorite episode because there weren't so many special effects. But I enjoyed, although it almost killed me. I mean, it's like when you play a superhero role, you're playing two parts. You're playing the, right. the hero and you're playing the character. Okay, right. then they added Pollux, so now I'm playing that character in, mm. in his suit and in the red suit and Barry. So I was, I never left for, for those <laughs> nine days, but. But it was fascinating uh, for me to work split screen and to and to play out. Uh, but since we did not have a budget for that episode for special effects, it had to be character and relationship. And okay, how could we convey that Barry was having a chance to externalize a part of himself that he never wanted and didn't really trust, mm-hmm. and and that this shadow side of him if you will ends up taking a bullet for him that was it was it's an episode that i enjoy because it's rife with metaphorical possibilities now i may have been the only one getting off on those metaphorical (laughs) possibilities but you know i had a good time um the trickster of course we got more comic book as we went on i i i wanted to strike a balance. I was constantly wanting it to be grittier. The, the, the idea for the show at the beginning was to have a, basically a CSI show, before there were CSI shows, mm. with the superhuman element of speed. Um, and we were, we were pressed to be more broadly comic and, uh, as, as we went along. And I, you know, I think by, by the fans certain, or by the network? Um, by the network. I think, and, you know, and, and because at the beginning I was told things like, well, of course, they were trying to reassure me because I, I first said, I don't want to be running around a pair of red tights. <laughs> well, you won't be. <laughs> I came to regret that later. But um, <clears throat> then they said, You'll, we'll never see this. The suit will be used. It'll always be at night. 
I came to regret that later because we were always <laughs> shooting in southeast L.A. at 5 in the morning uh-huh. with fire trucks wetting everything down. Um, uh, uh, but they said you'd only see section, you'll see a blur or a piece or a side of a leg. Well, of course, the network from the first episode is saying, we want to see the suit, we want to see the suit. And I kept saying, yeah, but once you've seen it, you know, kind of there it is. Right. You know, right. one thing that, is, that strikes me about, about uh, the difference in uh, uh, the way Grant... Uh, how can I say this? The, 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 the culture of comic books having gone mainstream. Mm. Nobody really reacts strangely to seeing someone uh, walking around, talking and interaction, acting in a superhero suit. Yeah. I was very self-conscious about that in 1990. I didn't want to have any lines in the suit. I wanted it to be monosyllabic, also because Barry wouldn't have wanted to use his voice, but also because right. John the actor, I, you know, I can see my own discomfort at times uh, in the series when I'm in the suit and when I have to talk too much in the suit. You know? Yeah. Uh, now, you, you flash forward 24 years and people are used to that. Grant is absolutely at ease. <laughs> with the cowl on, with the cowl back, he is so at home in that suit. It, it and it's a different uh, sensibility. I don't think it ever occurred to him to be self-conscious. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe he's just that good of an actor that he he yeah. covers his discomfort more than me. Man, but I, um, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, just the the modern age we live in, when like you know, the Avengers is one of the biggest blockbuster movies of all time, and you know, superheroes are very much in style. And if you see somebody walking around in, in a costume, uh, you know, especially like or if you see a, you know, a costumed individual on television, you stop the channel and you watch because you're interested. You know, like it, 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 you immediately yeah. get pulled in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I kept saying to them, I don't want to be a mascot. I don't don't right. turn me into a mascot. Don't turn me into a mascot. You know, I yeah. didn't want them to shoot any B-roll in the suit, you know, stuff like that. I didn't want to be. There was this one picture of me up on the on the Warner Brothers lean board because I couldn't sit down when I was in the, <laughs> the cowback smoking a cigarette with a Diet Coke in my hand. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh man. Don't great. let this get out. <laughs> that's priceless. Oh man. Well, of course, you know, there were several different colorful characters that appeared on the show, but uh, of course, probably none more over the top and crazy as uh, Mark Hamill's trickster. Uh, so what was it like to uh, go toe to toe with uh, Mark? Well, Mark, uh, you know, one thing about Mark was he, now that is someone who is a big comic book fan. Oh, yeah. You know, he, I think he even had a comic book shop either in Toronto or Vancouver. I heard it one time. In fact, uh, we, we shot the last uh, scene of the entire series together at like five in the morning in southeast Los Angeles. At the end of it, I ripped the ears off of the suit I was wearing and threw them in the air. Well, he almost lost his mind. You know, he was climbing around garbage cans and over cables, you know, and he got those ears, you know. But, but the one thing, you know, about Mark was he loved playing that character. Now, talk about someone who was comfortable in his own skin in a suit. You know, mm-hmm. he came in and he just gave it 120%. I always like to say, tell people that the very end when he's in a straitjacket in the padded cell and he's banging up against the wall saying, <laughs> nobody tricks the tricks, you know, that whole <laughs> yeah. thing. Uh-huh. He, he actually dislocated a shoulder. I mean, that's, he threw himself into that part with such commitment that 
it it, it totally electrified those uh, those episodes. Oh wow, that's awesome. Well, well, so th- yeah. this isn't so much a question as it is a, a a pretty interesting point of awesomeness here. So you know, a, a lot of geeks they'll look at art through the lenses of what's come before. So uh, given that your Flash defeated Mark Hamill's Trickster and Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker defeated James Earl Jones's Darth Vader by the transitive property, you could totally beat up Darth Vader. That, that's what we're I saying. Do, I like the way you think. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we were thinking about it beforehand. We're like, oh, yeah, you could totally take Darth Vader. We gotta- oh, yeah. That's <laughs> amazing. You guys, I, you know, it's a, 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 and, and being someone that's not uh, well-versed in the comic lore, I'm, uh, when I go into websites or I read my Twitter feed or things that write me, I'm going, God, I love the way these guys think. Your <laughs> thinking, thinking is so circuitous and so... Uh, you spin things out and imagine things and make connections that it would never occur to me to make. <laughs> well, of course, I could kick Darth Vader's ass. How exactly. about that? There it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, of course, you know we are all extremely hyped for the upcoming episode, Tricksters, where Mark's going to be reprising his role as the original Trickster, and the two of you are going to be able to kind of reunite on screen. Uh, so, what was it like, kind of coming back after so many years? It's awesome. It was awesome. You know, I've, I've seen other cast members in the interim. I certainly have seen Amanda a lot and uh, uh, in the interim, but I had not seen Mark since, uh, since, we, in, since May of 1991. So it was great. When he walked into for the table read, it was immediately picking up where we left off. I, I love seeing nice. his wife. What I, I, you know what? I like this his version of this trickster mm. even better than I liked his version in 1990, because this one, it's, it's scarier, you know, really? it's, you know, it's, uh, he is actually in Iron Heights, of course, as you said, he had been put, put away. And, and, and so he's on the inside and he's been in prison working things from the inside, but there's a, there's a, I hate to keep going back to the word gravitas, but there's an edge and there's a harshness and there's, it's like whatever insanity was running through his veins has had time to turn acrid. You know what I mean? So there's a threat and almost, uh, 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 I, I don't know the word to use, but for me, it's more bone, his characterization now is more bone chilling than it was then. And then all of the o- sort of over the top things that, that the trickster can do they split the character in two. So they have a trickster wannabe, Devin Gray, on the outside. They've got Mark with the rich history and everything that a mature actor can bring to that part now, which so informs it, and they combine the two. So, again, the writers and the producers are absolutely brilliant in, uh, in the way they're navigating uh, these twists and turns. I'm constantly amazed at, at what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, you know, it's fantastic. I, I just, I really like... The tricksters, uh, the representation that he gave in the '90s show, and I'm just so excited to see, just especially from what you've been talking about, just what what's going to be, you know, what we have in store. But you know, of course, Mark Hamill, you know, he wasn't the only actor to reprise a role on CW's The Flash. And you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, Amanda Pays, uh, she played Dr. Tina McGee in the '90s uh, Flash show. She came back to play the same character in CW's Flash. Uh, well, are, are there any other characters from the original Flash TV show that you'd like to see make it to CW's Flash? Um, you know who does come is uh, Bellows, Murphy and Bellows, the cop. Oh, okay. He's in. He's in the Tricksters episode. Oh, uh, excellent. Uh, and so it's it's great fun to see uh, Vito 
D'Ambrosia. It's great to see him. Uh, it was great to see him again. And uh, I certainly would love to see Alex Desaire, mm-hmm. who was such a, an awesome and integral part of Flash 1990. Um, He's kind of like the Cisco of 1990s Flash. Totally. Yes. And that's what I, that's yeah, what I really like was. about his character. It's very similar. Yep. So, of course, uh, despite being kind of a more upbeat and lighter than its parent show, Arrow, uh, The Flash still delivers these tear-jerking, good dramatic sequences that you were talking about earlier, where you get to come in and uh, you and Grant kind of get those cream-of-the-crop scenes that really just bring this big emotional uh, beat to the entire episode and and really to the entire series. Uh, How do you prepare for these just extremely emotional scenes? Well, part of it is built in, isn't it? Because they cast the actor who had done it 24 years ago. So I'm going to bring my history with the show, my, my hopes and dreams for that effort, mm. the, the, every, all of my feelings around where I think we succeeded, where I think we failed, where uh, the fact that we only went one season, whatever, uh, you know, sort of unrequited uh, uh, hopes and dreams that I had. So that, that, that's a storehouse right there. So by casting the actor that played it 24 years ago, I'm going to bring that history with me. Mm-hmm. So it's like when I walked onto the set the first time, it was just amazing. Also, the way David Nutter directed it. I mean, all four of our executive producers were fans of the first effort. Andrew Kreisberg was an assistant on the back lot at Warner Brothers when I was shooting, and we had an interaction there. David Nutter, before I went to shoot one scene, said, you know, you, you were my hero growing up. You know, I mean, it was like, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. it was really unbelievable. So when we got to that first father-son scene, um, it was, uh, there was already the emotions were running so high because even though it was a father and a son, I knew when I read it, what they were doing with our hands on the glass, they were get, they were giving the fans. And this is what I kept telling the fans that were disappointed that I wasn't playing Jay Garrick mm-hmm. because they wanted to see yeah. a passing of the baton. And I kept saying, you're going to get it. It's going to be in the context of a father son blessing, but oh, you're yeah. going to get it. Another thing that they did for that scene is David, before my shots came in, and he said, we've written some additional dialogue that we did not want you to hear or read until this moment. He said, and just know that we wrote it in an attempt to live up to you and to to honor, you know, your your contribution. I can't remember his exact words, but I was half in the bag before I ever went and took my seat at the phone. Just David, you know, um... And then all of the section from, uh, remember when you told me to change my name because you didn't want anyone to be associated with me? Right. Well, I'm glad right. I didn't change my name. I am proud of you, and I'm proud oh, of you. Dude. I had never heard those words mm. oh, wow. until, uh, you know, and David constantly and wisely took it, took me back and saying, you know, we're trying to pay homage to your, your effort and your work. Well, I'm already emotionally full, and I'm bringing all of that. And then when our hands touch, I'm transferring all of that to Grant. So it worked brilliantly oh, yeah. for the father-son scenes. Grant and I, I think, also work very similarly. We we try to get to the truth of the moment uh, of whatever we're given uh, in the man in the yellow suit, where he comes in just completely in here because of me. I let him go. I could have caught him. and. And, you know, he came to me exhausted saying, you know, I, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, the emotion's going to be there. And, uh, you know, and we just said, well, let's just stay hooked into each other and, and whatever happens, happens. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's because 
you know, obviously when he was auditioning for the play, he told me, uh, you know, Grant and I are both from Norfolk, Virginia. Our birthdays are eight days apart oh, wow. <laughs> and in January, and he was born the year I was doing The Flash. So <laughs> he used all of that during the audition process. So when we come together to do a scene, although we're not consciously playing it, it has to inform our relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it afford and it, it, it we can channel that right into father son. Well, you know, we start talking these these uh, saying these lines and saying these words and playing these situations with each other, and we don't really have to act. The emotions come. It's like Grant and John talking to each other. Yeah. You know, so uh, other than just you know <laughs> learning the words, you know, it's like. I know that when I step into that booth or, you know, when I'm in the hospital bed or now I get out of the prison uh, in the Trickster episode, as the pictures indicate, not the way I want to get out of the prison, but, um, you know, that, that, that if we're just present with each other, with our history, you know, and uh, uh, with the character and uh, his present with the character, and uh, and I think the mutual respect we have for each other, we just hook into something emotionally, and uh, and the scenes um, are really a joy to play. Plus, let's face it, I mean, I read the scripts, and I'm, like, tearing up. Oh, I'm yeah. like, right, oh, yeah. oh stuff, my God, man. you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, they keep finding new ways to write the father-son scenes. So uh, a lot of the work is done for us. You know, we just have to show up and fulfill it. it it's more like we don't have to make it work, uh, we have to make sure we don't get in the way and <laughs> fuck it up, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, um, so to speak. Well, <laughs> your scenes between uh, you, the scenes between you and Grant, those, those are some of my favorites of, uh, of, of, this, of the series so far. And uh, so we're a little bit, you know, halfway done with the season. And uh, you, you, like, as you mentioned earlier, there's a couple pictures where, you know, it shows Henry Allen, you know, outside of the prison. So is that. You know, can can you tease a little bit for us? Is that something that's going to be a permanent thing? Are we going to see Barry spending some time with his dad outside of a prison? Uh, where 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 does Henry Allen go from here? As much as you can tell us. Yes, as much. as Well, you, can tell us. you know, I you know, I all I know is the, is is I mean, I haven't gotten the season finale script. Uh, uh, I'm in the trickster episode, and then I'm in the season finale um, coming up are my my two scripts. Uh, and Andrew has said where where he wants to go. Um, I really can't say too much. I mean, I, I, you know, it already says that it's already been in synopses that the trickster takes me prisoner. So that's what I meant about right, I right. get out of the prison, not the way I wanted. Right, know. right. Yeah, um, <laughs> but they're going to tease because it's been work. It's worked very well so far. They're going to tease um, the plot device of what are the complications that Barry faces in vindicating uh, his father's innocence and and finding who is responsible for his mother's murder and bringing that person to justice. And now we've got multiple timelines going. So, you know, anything really is possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're in, well, I'll just say this, we're in from su- for a lot of twists and turns and some real surprises between now and episode 23. All right. We are very much looking forward to it. You know, we got to ask you this question because we love asking every single guest of this show this question. But if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? And we've already decided you can't choose super speed. That's just too obvious. (laughs) Too obvious. Right. 
Right, right. You know what? I, I just, I'm, it's a little unfair. I was just in Greenville, and I went to the CW affiliate, and it's the first time I've ever been asked that question. <laughs> and uh, I, this may be too serious for flash talk. I don't know, but well, I'll give you the same answer because it's it resonated with me. If I could be given any superpower, it would in this country in in 2015 for us to rediscover how to talk to each other. Mm. You know, uh, that we can disagree and nobody gets to uh, send anybody to hell. Nobody has to leave the building. We're, you know, we're all members of the human family and citizens of this great country. And let's take a breath and remember that we're all on the same side. If I could have a superpower, I think that would be the one I would want. That's good. Wouldn't that be an amazing power? It would be amazing just 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 to say, okay, back off and 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 remember a sense of compassion, understanding, and what we have in co- and commonality. Well, so uh, that kind of you know brings our little interview here to a close. But uh, uh, we wanted to know where can fans keep up with your latest projects? I know you mentioned there's some uh, you know theater that you've been doing, things like that. Where can we keep up with what you got going on? I would say my Facebook page, my Twitter page, uh, of course, IMDb lists but only film projects. I have a couple of uh, independent films uh, that I think would be very uh, interesting to this audience. One is called The Sector. Josh Ridgway is The Sector with Lance Henriksen and Richard Tyson about uh, dual universes. And Mm. uh, um, one of the lines that made me want to do that movie was uh, one character says, you mean there's another world? They say, yes, and they've got plans for this one. Uh, They're calling us the private sector, a place to send their criminals and bury their dirty secrets. I was like, okay, I'm on board. (laughs) That sounds really cool. (laughs) (laughs) And another one is Sensory Perception, which is Al Signore's, which is uh, John Savage and Corbin Burnson, uh, Amanda's husband, of course. And uh, that's in post-production as well. Very cool. Well, John, we, we greatly appreciate you uh, you joining us. I got to tell you, I was, uh, I was a little nervous about things coming together tonight. Uh, my wife is extremely pregnant and uh, could go into labor. Are any- you kidding me? Really? Yeah. Like any minute? <laughs> any minute she could go into labor. It's so we, uh, <laughs> we were kind of crossing our fingers to make sure things didn't happen last minute. Don't get me wrong. I'd be, I'm totally ecstatic. This will be our second child. No, no, no. Is this your first child? <laughs> it, it's our second child. It's our second child. Second child. Okay. So you, you've been through it at least once before. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The first time, the first time around, I probably would have uh, tried to find another, another rescheduling. That's not to say I don't love the second child. I'm, I'm excited. To, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. You're a little more experienced. Exactly. That's all. A little more experience. Well, I'm surprised you're coherent at this point. My hat's <laughs> off to you. I'm not sure I would. <laughs> We're doing our best to keep it together. But once again, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we will continue to watch the Flash and all these uh, additional projects with great interest. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Dude, that was insane. Yeah, that J- was freaking awesome. JWS, the original Flash on Flash TV Talk. How about that? <laughs> So I picked up the original Flash series, as I mentioned in the interview, and I've been watching through it. And it's just it's just so great, like because you can really see what he brings to this character. Everything was talking about the pilot. Like That pilot episode is wonderful. If you get a chance to uh, to find this in stores, you need to pick it up and watch it because it's just brilliant. Uh, it, it, the, the origin that they have, it's it's very different from what they did on the original Flash. But it's just it's 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 really cool and it's powerful. And it's like not this, you know, kind of like. I have superpowers. I'm going to be a good guy now. Kind yeah. of thing. It's just because it comes from a place, right? Yeah. And 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 John just just really just portrays that and does a really excellent job with his character. And it's just it's really it's really cool watching him be the Flash 
and then watching the flash and seeing him be the flash's dad yeah <laughs> man, like just... that whole meta level where he got into and talked about how you know bringing that kind of that baggage or not even baggage but just that experience bringing that experience from the original series into those moments of of kind of you know, this emotional connection between father and son and kind of how that plays on a grander level. And I, I really love the bit where he's talking about addressing the fans who were upset that he wasn't going to play Jake Garrick. Yeah. There wasn't be like this passing of a torch kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I just, I didn't think about it until he mentioned it. But yeah, it's absolutely right. When, you know, because you have Henry Allen talking to Barry, the whole speech where he's like, look, if my son was a superhero, this kind of thing, you know, when they, when they, they, they press the hands on the glass, just this, you know, don't want to change your name. I'm proud to be this kind of stuff. That's the passing of the torch. That's what we got. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's wonderful. It's really, really great stuff. So we cannot thank Mr. John Wesley Ship enough for joining us tonight. Y'all be sure to follow him on Twitter at John Wesley Ship. Of course, you can follow our show at Flash TV Talk. You can find all the links to our show and, and all that good stuff at FlashTVTalk.com. And we will have a new episode detailing the next upcoming episode of The Flash coming your way very, very soon. So uh, if this is your first time tuning into Flash TV Talk, we are a Flash fan podcast. We do uh, reviews, news, spoilers for the Flash CW series. And, uh, and we do it with a lot of confusing time travel talk at times. So <laughs> give us a listen if you like us. Stick around. Um, and, uh, hey, if you are sticking around, don't worry. We'll be back in a flash. A member of the Pottery Network. For more information on this and other shows, please visit pottery.com.